This morning, I'm going to continue <clears throat> on the series that I started last week on the reasons that prayers are not answered. Now, we started out, at least I did, when I went into this teaching with five notable reasons why prayers are not answered. Then after a little while, I went into and I realized that five was not enough. It ended up being seven. And then seven grew to ten. And then ten grew to twelve. And twelve became fifteen. And that's the last count right now. And I'm looking for them all right now, and I only have a few of them here, Pastor. I don't know. I know I had them before, but if you look and see where we're at, there's some things that I want to share with you. But before I get into the teaching, I want to share with you something that the Lord laid on my heart the other night. <clears throat> As you probably are aware by now, I've my revelatory time with God seems to be around four o'clock in the morning. And uh, my prayer closet is the secret chamber that I retire to that, well, you figure it out. But, uh, and God speaks to my heart. And I try desperately to write down the notes and thank God for the little Apple iPhones or whatever iPhone you use, but this one has one of those things you can talk into it and record the inspiration that you're receiving because inevitably I'm laying down in bed and I get this phenomenal thought and I think, well, oh, great, that's good. I'll, I'll remember in the morning, come in the morning, and it's gone for me. So, uh, And then to get up and write, <coughs> excuse me, my nose is stuffed up. It's not coronavirus, just a glass of water, please. I knocked over the other glass. <coughs> Thank you. And tissue, I'm going to need it. Uh, George, knock me off for a second, please. So I, I just spoke this pretty much as it was spoken to my spirit. And uh, this morning I had uh, Pastor Gideon print it out for me. And uh, rather than try to speak on it uh, just uh, extemporaneously, I just want to read to you word for word. And this is in regard to the teaching that we're about to do. And it's on... Uh, why prayers go unanswered. So here we go. This teaching is not about legislative legalism. It's not about do's or don'ts. It's not about right or wrong. It's about utilizing the principles that release the power and the authority of God through our lives through prayer. It's about learning how to access that power that is ours through prayer, not a power that causes God to do our bidding, but a power that leads you to a deeper and more intimate relationship with him so that you understand what it is that he's calling you to do. And prayer is not like ordering from a spiritual drive-thru. It's about coming into his presence and sitting with him, sharing what's on your heart, and listening to what he has to say. This list is not about arbitrary rules. It's about revealing character traits and faults that hinder us from receiving from God that he truly wants to give us. 
The effectiveness of prayer is not predicated upon our religious activities. All your religious doings. The effectiveness of prayer is not based upon how long you pray. How much you do benevolent things. How strictly you follow every dot and tittle of the law. The power of prayer, the effectiveness of prayer, is predicated on the attitude of our hearts. That's what God judges. God has answered the prayer of some of the most egregious sinners in Scripture. Terrible men, terrible women. He's answered their prayers while turning the deaf ear to those who seem to be doing everything that they were supposed to do. So I just wanted to say to you this morning that prayer, that the list we're going to give you right now is not merely a list of do's and don'ts. It's not rules and regulations that are founded in legalism. <clears throat> because God has a quality about him that is far superior than his nature of judgment. And that attribute is called mercy. But God also wants to train us he wants us to mature in him. He doesn't want us to just go through life without enjoying all that Christ came to give us. And it breaks his heart. I know it breaks his heart because it breaks my heart. When you see Christians who've been saved for years and years and years, and yet their progression and maturity and, 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 and character development of Jesus Christ remains the same today as it was 10 years ago. As if that's some kind of virtue. Well, bless God, it was good enough for my daddy, it's good enough for me. And we're still doing the same thing we did. Life is a progression, both in the natural and in the spiritual. <clears throat> and our progression naturally is to bring us into prominence of all the gifts that are placed within our being. And the same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual manhood. We are born with the gifts of the Spirit that are within us, but the exercise, the proper exercise of these gifts come through our maturity, come through our character development, come through our understanding of the will, the nature of God, the purposes of God. And not using our gifts just for our own edification, our own purpose, or our own prominence to gain attention but to use these gifts so that God and God alone is glorified. Or the facilitator of the gift is recognized above the possessor of the gift. I allow the Lord to use my humanity for his purposes. But I don't want recognition to come to the flesh. Recognition has to come to the spirit. So we're trained. We're, we're, we're developed. You know, there's a progression in our lives. We start from spiritual infancy. The parallels are similar between the spiritual man and the natural man. There's a, a parallel progression. And what we're supposed to be doing here in our assemblies is bring this understanding and knowledge and discipleship so that each of us progresses accordingly. But regardless of, uh, of the teaching, regardless of the programs of the church, a person doesn't progress to maturity in Christ through religious activity. It has to be birthed in the heart, the desire, the want to be like Christ. I want to be like you, Jesus. Not that I want to preach you so people will be healed. Not so I get people saved. 
I want to be like you so that I understand the mind of God, that even as Christ understood the mind of God, and yes, that is our objective, gaining the mind of Christ. Paul tells us, let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ, a mind that could recognize when God was speaking to him and telling him who to heal, who to speak to, who to rebuke, who to praise. And he did it without error. Why? Because he always constantly had the mind of the Father. He said, I do nothing of my own volition. I do nothing of my own will. Everything I do has been approved, endorsed, sanctioned by the Father. Everything. And that's where we should strive towards. Not just coming to prayer, just saying, okay, God, I want you to do this. I need you to do that. This person needs you in a certain way. Who are we to make those determinations? Your heart may be filled with compassion, but do you understand the purposes of the circumstances, situations that an individual is going? Or are you just responding out of your own humanitarian compassion? Oh, if it were possible, I would heal that person. What does that mean? That either God doesn't have that power or he's not as good as you are. We have not because we ask not, but we have not because we don't know how to ask. Some scriptures that we shared last week that we're going to get just to redo for you this morning. John 5, 14 and 15, Mark 11, Matthew 7. And here are the scriptures that we, want to, we base this series on. This is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whenever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. And that sounds pretty clear and simple, but let me tell you something. It's only clear to those who have the mind of Christ. To those who don't have the mind of Christ, it means something completely different. To those who have the mind of Christ, this scripture simply means, you know what? I know how to ask of God that which needs to be done because I ask according to his will. Those who have not the mind of God, they just claim the scripture. Says, well, you see, I can say to God to do anything that I want him to do, and he's obligated to do it. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will. Again, the same situation. And let me, and you can read the other scriptures yourself, Matthew 18 and 19, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. So these scriptures teach us that God does answer prayer. But the principle of answered prayer is not that God answers gives you everything you want as I said a little earlier prayer time is not like going into a drive up window and ordering the things that you want off a menu because they satisfy you prayer is coming into the presence of God and sharing with him that those things that are in your heart and waiting for his wisdom and his guidance on how to deal with these situations according to his will. Another scripture I just want to bring to you and I want to emphasize because I think this has the key to the medium, to the method, to the philosophy of our prayer. It's in John 16, verse 24. And Jesus said, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy might be complete. Most people emphasize the latter portion of Jesus' statement 
and ignore the important central truth of that statement. They read, ask and you will receive so that your joy might be complete. Well, you see, I'm asking my joy. Whoa, 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 whoa. See that word ask? It is qualified. It's a qualified ask. And Jesus already, just a few words before this, gives us the qualification for our asking. He said, you have not received, you have not asked for anything in my name. In other words, when we ask, we have to ask in the nature and the character of Christ. Not in our human understanding. Last week we shared with you some of the reasons the Bible gives for not answering our prayers. Last week we went into lack of faith. Secondly, we went into not asking according to God's will. Third, we talked about asking with the wrong motives. Fourth, we ask with unforgiveness in your heart. Now today, we'll carry on from there. Let me start with the fifth reason why our prayers are not answered. When we pray, we need to make sure that we are praying in Christ. Not remaining in Christ is one of the reasons why our prayers aren't answered. What does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ is simply this, is that my life is hidden in him. That it's his righteousness that clothes me, not my good deeds. It's his will that is my will. It's his mind that is my mind. And I am out there showing everyone the true nature and character of Christ. This is a progressive development in our lives. You don't begin automatically in the same maturity in Christ as you do as you develop and, and are discipled in life. But in each phase of our progression, we must have a consciousness that I want to be in Jesus. That's my focus of life. To be like him. To think like he thinks. To do like he did. Yes. Are you motivated by that spiritual principle? That spiritual philosophy? Not about what you want. It's not about what you consider are your needs. You never have to. We never have to pray for our needs. Why is that? Because God has promised us that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Kim just announced to me that great prayer that's been given to her, a prayer answer. She's been looking for a job and looking for a job and looking for a job all these years. And finally, uh, today she came in and announced to me, and I know she's announced to Pastor Angela earlier, she got a job. But you know what? You know the reason that her prayer was answered? Because she was going to live for God whether she got a job or not. How do I know that? Because she's been living for God without a job for all these years. Never complaining. Never finding fault. Always wanted to be where the spirit was moving. She lives in Christ. Number six, big one, unconfessed sin in your life. Psalm 66, 18, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not listen. Wow. It doesn't say because you've sinned. It's because you refuse to confess your sins. 
Many times when you pray, prayers are not being answered because you refuse to come to an altar, repent of your sins, harboring unconfessed sins. Why would a person do that? Well, you know, the Bible does say that sin does have a pleasure. That is for a season. And sometimes we're so intimidated being found out about our sin that we will do everything to hide it. I don't want somebody else to know that I've committed this sin. So you try to hide it. You're not doing yourself any good because the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And it's going to be embarrassing. But if there's a true spirit of contrition in our heart, you know, when the spirit of the Lord has really taken over you and your, your mind and your spirit, and if there is an unconfessed sin in your life, you, you can't live with that burden. You want more than anything else to have that burden lifted from you. It's like David, when he committed that egregious sin, you know, he, he carried with it, you know, he's trying to hide it. He tried everything to do. But when the prophet came and pointed it out, David didn't deny it. Even though he knew he would suffer great humiliation, loss of respect. It was like a relief. Oh, thank God. I can get this sin off of me right now. And he took off his priestly robes and put on sackcloth and ashes. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You know, sometimes... And this is going to be difficult for some people to acknowledge this and accept this, but it's a fact. Sometimes we sin by proxy. It's not you actually doing the sinning, but someone else has sinned. And because you don't want to create waves, you don't want to bring sent the adversarial situation, you just shut your mouth. Or you condone it. You accept it. You take the attitude, well, that's them and I'm just not going to get involved. We are called by God to get involved in people's life. He that knoweth to do good and do it not, to him it is sin. If you know that something is going on that is wrong and you don't take a stand against that, then my friend, what are you doing? You're fraternizing with the enemy. When somebody challenges you about sins, they are sin. You don't have to be adversarial with them. You don't have to be holy of thou with them. You don't have to get on your, your, your white horse and you know, preach to them. But you do have to stand up and say, you know what? I love you right where you're at. I understand what you're going through. That is wrong, but it's not going to separate you from me. I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to love you. And I'm not better than you because I don't do these things or believe in these things. The only reason that I have any righteousness at all is not because of any effort, any work. On my part, it's because of what Jesus Christ did for me on Calvary. And I accepted that. Just as you can. Number seven, common, very common to the most sincere Christians. This reason why God doesn't answer our sin is because it isn't good for us. Look all over your past. How many things have you prayed for that you thought, well, this, is, this must be God? I mean, you, were, you felt the anointing of the Spirit and you thought, wow, <coughs> this is God. And I, I can use an illustration right now, but if I did it again, I think my daughter would shoot me. This illustration I've used for years in her life. And I won't tell you about the time that she came to us with this boyfriend of hers and, you know, was announcing that they, it was a perfect match made in heaven. They were going to get married. And 
I'm not going to say anything about that. And her mother, now I got to tell you how her mother and father, you know, gave her counsel and wisdom and said, you know what? <laughs> if you think this is what, you know, we, we don't think that this is the right one for you. She cried and went home brokenhearted, talked to her, her suitor and told him that we needed to wait. And he got all upset. She came home, left Bible school, hid herself in her room for 20 years. No. But here she thought she had the right one. Pray as much as she want. God did not answer that prayer. Why? Because God had a Gary Gideon. Come on. Out there waiting for her. How many times have we tried to pray for something and then when it didn't happen, and then realized later on in life, wow, isn't that great that God didn't answer my, my, my prayers? I, I preached a couple of weeks ago, uh, the blessing of unanswered prayers. You ask and do not receive, James 4, 3 says, because you ask wrongly. You ask to spend it on your passions. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Yes. For my power is made perfect Thank you, Lord. in weakness. Thank you, Lord. Imagine what would have happened if Paul's prayer. Three times the apostle himself prayed and asked God, look at all the things that he had sacrificed, all the things he was doing. Look at the fact that he was such a, a, a great instrument of the, of the Holy Spirit. And three times he prays, says, God, remove this thing from me, this buffeting of Satan. Yes. <clears throat> and God says, you know what, Paul, I can't do that. Why not, God? I'm serving you. I need to be free from this thing. Sorry, Paul. No can do. Why? Because if I took that away from you, you'd get so heady and puffed up. You would think that everything that you were doing, this ministry of yours, the growth of your churches was all a result of your giftings and your talents and your wisdom. And Paul, you're too important to the kingdom of God. You are my chief apostle. And I've got to maintain a relationship with you and you've got to maintain a relationship with me in which you recognize that you are totally, completely and absolutely dependent upon my grace for everything that you do. So you know what? I'm going to allow these situations and circumstances to continue in your life. Not because I'm trying to be mean to you. Not because you've done something wrong. But simply because I want to share with you the sufficiency of my grace in every circumstance. How do we know about that? How do we know about the sufficiency of God's grace in every circumstance and situation in our lives. It's not by reading about it. It's about going through it. And sometimes you feel as if God's not answering your prayer. And the truth is, he definitely has, according to his will. Number eight. There's a greater purpose for our trial. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me 
to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. If I hadn't gone through the circumstances and situations, I just would have been ignorant of the principles and the word of God. I came to Christ out of the streets of New York City knowing nothing about God, but in the course of my life, I just said this to my wife the other night. We're talking about people who, you know, we need to pray for, people who are doing things and saying things, uh, and, and we, we, you know, our first reaction is, is to want to retaliate against them. I was seeing the, that thing that happened in that nursing home where that individual was beating on this, this elderly person. And it just, it just caused my, my, my whole spirit to just turn upside down. And I felt an anger rise up in me. And I thought, man, you know what? If I was my, I, 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 and then my wife reminded me, you know what? Even he could get saved. And I responded to her. I says, oh, honey. That's the truth. Because having experienced my life and knowing what I have gone through, I can never look at any individual regardless of what they have done and say that he is without hope in Christ. First Peter 1 verses 6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in the various trials so that the proven character of your faith more precious than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes our trial is for a greater purpose. Need I remind you about Calvary? The sufferings, the humiliation, the agony, the innocents being betrayed. But he went through that, Scripture says, like a sheep is done before her shearers. He didn't complain, he didn't curse. As a matter of fact, on the cross in agony and pain he blessed because he understood that this trial was the purpose of his life he came to save mankind from the judgment of God and there was no other way to bring that provision into our lives except through his trial your faithfulness at the time of your trials serves as a living witness of the grace of God. The most influential sermons aren't those that are preached. They're those that are lived. How do you live your life in the midst of your problems, circumstances, and situations? Are you complaining, finding fault? Are you considering that it's a burden too heavy for you to bear? Well, that's the message that you're preaching to everybody else. But when you realize and you live the life that my God has not suffered me to be tempted above that which I am able to bear that he is faithful with every test, with every trial, with every circumstance. He has made a way of escape. And I'm just here to worship him and demonstrate his grace. Father, just protect those as these services are going to right now. So your life is a living legacy. What sermon are you preaching? One of faith, hope, grace, mercy, confidence in God, patience in Him, 
And let me tell you, when you preach it with your life, those you've been trying to reach with your words, they'll hear. Number nine, is something that sometimes we don't teach enough in our churches. Would it surprise you to, and I'm probably speaking mostly to men on this one reason why prayers aren't answered, but conversely, women, this is also applies to you. And it's about you're steeped in all types of marital problems. First Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, you husband, dwell with them with understanding. Listen. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's Peter telling us one of the great hindrances to the prayers of people. You're not in harmony. You're not in union with your wife that you have pledged to be one with. And if you can't agree with your wife, with your spouse, then you are hindering the effectiveness of your prayers. I've learned that many years ago, and today it is our custom. Whatever my, whenever we have a decision to make, my wife and I make that decision together. And she may say something that I, I'm not interested in. She may say, no, we shouldn't do this. And I just think, well, we should. But you know what? Until we get into union, I agree that not that I'm I'm right and she's right or one's wrong or the other's wrong, but it's not time. Maybe that prayer will come to pass if we request it. But if if we're not united, if we're not in one spirit, then I am now jeopardizing the, the reason for our union, and that is a oneness. Our completion is one another. And we must honor that and sanctify that. Peter's telling us our prayers are being hindered because we're not treating our wives with the proper respect and honor that is due them as a gift from God. When we have strife in our family... We're constantly irritated towards one another. When we get offended and we don't want to forgive or admit that we may have been wrong. You know, what difference does it make who's right or wrong? It's not going to solve the issues of life. Number 10. Not willing to help those who ask you for help. Wow. See someone in need and you got the resources and the ability to be able to minister to that need. And you turn your back on that person and you just give him a, we'll pray for you. Well, the attitude we exhibit towards others is the attitude we ask God to exhibit towards us. Proverbs 21, 13 says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. First John 3:17 says any if anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need but withholds his compassion from him how can the love of God abide in him? James 2:15-16 Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food if one tells him go in peace stay warm and well fed but does not provide for his physical needs. What good is that? Good wishes? Religious phraseology? 
are not the substitute for good deeds. If you have the means to help, but refuse, then you're saying, God, the attitude that I exhibited to these, your children, is the same attitude I want you to exhibit to me. You may not say that with your mouth, but you're saying that with your character. If you don't have the means, well, that's a whole different situation. Then you can pray for the individual. Show them the sympathy and the love and the concern. That's important. And let them know that you feel their pain and you share their, their, their circumstance as best as you can. Proverbs 19, 17, kindness to the poor is alone to the Lord and he will repay the lender. That's right. When you give to the poor, give to the needy, give to the distressed, yes. you're giving God alone. Not the individual. And God will repay that. Remember that the next time that you have a need and you're crying out, God, please help me supply this need. And you think back, well, what was the time that I could have helped someone else? I had the wherewithal, the resources. But I needed to do it because I had some carnal needs that I wanted to take care of. And remember this, what you have, what you possess, is not yours. It belongs to God. And God has entrusted us to use these possessions as he determines. To do otherwise is to steal from God. Hear that word. Just a few more. We'll try to close it up this morning. Number 11. Not trusting God. James 5. I'm sorry. James 1 verse 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom. You should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in everything they do. Trusting God is simply believing that he will make sure that every circumstance and situation that you're in is one that has been designed and infiltrated by his spirit into your life. Remember the uh, young boy's father who was demon-possessed? And Jesus said, if you believe all things are possible, the father said... Well, Lord, I believe. But he recognized there was something that was lacking in his faith. He said, but Lord, help thou my unbelief. There are many people who believe God. Yes, there is a God. They believe the word of God. Yes, this is the word of God. But when it comes time to trusting him, it's something completely different. Belief Results in trust. You cannot trust without believing. And you cannot believe without faith. If you don't trust God. Then you don't expect him to answer your prayer. And if you don't expect him to answer your prayer. Then your prayer is not offered in faith.
and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Number 12, and this is critical for those of us that are praying for loved ones and individuals that have either turned their back on the Lord or living a life of promiscuousness or sin or whatever. And we pray, we pray, we pray for them. And we wonder why, God, haven't you answered our prayers? Let me share with you an important factor. You cannot pray and expect prayer to answer, be answered. If that action of God means he's got to violate someone else's will. Everyone has that free will given to us by God. And all of us are accountable for the decisions that we make. And we make them with choices. We own our choices. And if I choose to go contrary to God's way, none of your prayers can be effective in my life. Matter of fact, even the Holy Spirit cannot affect your life to bring it to good. Why? Because God will not violate our right of self-determination. So what do we do in a case like that? We don't preach to them anymore. You probably preach to them so much that they're sick and tired of hearing you preaching. They don't even want to come around you anymore because they know that you're going to be pointing a finger of accusation at them, telling them that they better do this and they better do that. What you do right now is do the same thing that Jesus did. Reach out to them. Tell them you're available. I love you. I will not condone your sin. But I love you. And I'm always here for you. Jesus' purpose and mission in life was singular. Luke speaks, 19.10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't save a drowning sailor by beating him over the head with a paddle. I throw out a lifeline. Number 13. Spoke a little bit about this last week. We focus on the problem and not the solution. I don't look at the bad of my circumstances because I know that my situations and my circumstances are not bad, nor are they good. They are neutral. They become whatever I attribute to them. I create negative situations in my life by my assessment of them. And that same situation, if I assess it positively, doesn't become an albatross, but it becomes a hope. When I see a circumstance rising up against me, I don't cower and feign and think, oh my God, what's going to happen now? My attitude very simply is this. Wow. I wonder what God's going to do now. How is he going to use this circumstance that has risen up against me to show off? Number 14, the reason that our prayers are not answered, because there are some people who think they deserve to have their prayer answered. Matthew 7, and 23 says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? 
We did all these things. We've given our bodies to be burned. We've, we've lived selfishly. We lived in a monastic life. Don't think that your works merit God's attention. Jesus said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How could he call people who are prophesying in his name, who drive out demons in his name, workers of lawlessness? Because it's not the action that God attributes righteousness to. It's the attitude. When you think that you have the power to do these things in the name of God and you do them in your own authority, you have become an enemy of Christ. When God grants us his graces and his gifts, we must be clothed with such a sense of humility. We don't boast about these things. We don't parade these things. We don't profess the virtues of our lives. But we constantly hide behind the cross and let its shadow obscure us from our own activities. It's when he increases and I decrease that I allow his power to work through me. And finally, at least for this week and for this teaching, maybe there'll be more as I continue to wait upon the Lord regarding this. It's when you have a false sense of piety. It's called hypocrisy. Matthew 6, 5 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Truly I tell you, they already have their reward. Be careful. When you pray, you don't feel a need to broadcast the intensity and the persistence and commitment of your prayers to others. It's not important how others regard you regarding your prayer life. It's important how God regards you. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to perform your righteous acts before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Don't go around boasting of your works as if you were the author and facilitator of your benevolent acts, of your pious activities. Humble ourselves. Give God the glory for everything that happens in our lives. And when situations come against us and we're praying and we may not understand what is the purpose, the plan of God for these circumstances, don't give up. Persevere. Have trust and faith. God will not allow anything to come against me that he has not already processed and determined that it's not for my detriment, but it's for my good. No evil formed shall come against you. You hear me? More importantly, do you hear the Spirit of the Lord? This is critical. If we are to pray effectively, we have to pray with understanding and maturity. Not just a little child begging mommy, daddy to give him some candy, to give him some toy, but to pray with maturity. Realizing, you know what? 
Sometimes I don't know how to pray. Thank you, Joseph. But that's not a problem. I don't know how to pray, Bishop. I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. No problem. God has a solution to that dilemma. In Romans, it teaches us that oftentimes we know not how to pray according to the mind of God. But that's when the Spirit of God within us begins to pray through us. Not with the sounds of vocabularies that we understand, but with utterances and groanings that the fleshy man cannot understand, but prayers that go directly to the spirit and to the mind of God. So when you feel like you don't know how to pray, then let your spirit man pray through you. Don't be artificial in your prayers, but just say, Lord, my mind doesn't know how to assess this situation. I don't know what's good or bad. I don't know what to do. But your spirit does. Exercise the prayer of the spirit man. And you know, something transformative happens when you begin to pray in the spirit. When you finish praying, even without your mind understanding what has happened. There's a peace and a calm. And there's a grace that is manifested in our lives because we know that our spirit man prayed according to the will of God and spoke to his mind, spirit to spirit. So, here we have it. 15 reasons why sometimes our prayers go unanswered. Like I said earlier, this is not a legislative list. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about understanding the precepts and principles of God and recognizing the areas in our lives that we have got to grow into and mature towards. Because I, I want to tell you something very important. This isn't an inviolable list. This doesn't mean that if you're caught up in one of these circumstances, attitudes, that God's going to say, no, not until you get straightened out. I told you before, and I'll close with it. God's mercy always supersedes these situations. Jesus demonstrated that in his earthly life. When the woman who was caught in adultery rightfully should have been stoned, what did he do? He prayed for her and told the rest of the crowd, those of you without sin. When Zacchaeus, the publican, the man who was despised by the whole citizenry of Jerusalem, was watching him from a tree, Jesus didn't point up to him and say, hey, you rascal, you better start doing what is right. No, he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going to your house for dinner. But these are precepts that we need to keep in mind as we mature and develop the character of Christ in our lives. Just because God is merciful to us in circumstances doesn't mean that we need to continue to practice those circumstances because God will judge us according to our attitudes not according to our actions the judgment of actions God has left up to the administration of civil governments I pray that this series is going to help you and bringing your character into alignment 
with the character of Christ and bringing your focus to that place where you now have the same mind in you that was also in Christ. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This